Good evening, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the worthy name of Jesus. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, my family to be with you this weekend. We've enjoyed it. It's been uh, a blessing to open the Word of God together with you and to be challenged in our Christian life. As I stand here before you again this evening, I, I just realize and sense once again the, uh, the tremendous weight of this responsibility. Breaking the bread of life is, is a sobering responsibility, and I do not take it lightly, but I ask for your prayers that I can be faithful in presenting truth once again this evening in a way that calls for us to pursue a life of godliness and holiness. You know, Jesus Christ is soon returning for his church, and Brother Gerald read that it's a church that is holy and without blemish. That's the church that Jesus is returning for uh, very soon. And, and I believe if I would ask you this evening is, are you, are you going to be a part of that? That the resounding answer would be yes. That's, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I want to be a church that is holy and, and blameless and, and amen. Yeah, that's the church I'm going to be a part of. But don't forget, dear people, that the church is made up of individuals. The church is made up of people just like me and people just like you. And so if the church is going to be holy and without blemish, it means that I personally must have a passion to protect and preserve the purity of the church. It starts with me personally. So I ask you this evening, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be part of a church that is honest? then be an honest person. You want to be a part of a, a pure church? Then be a pure person. You want to be a part of a church that is on fire for the Lord? Then be on fire for the Lord in your personal life. You see, the church is made up of individuals. God is calling for faithfulness in our individual lives. It's interesting to me how the Lord prepares us for certain assignments. And I think about specifically, I think about that specifically as I was preparing for this message some time ago. If there was ever a cancer awareness week, it was the week that I was preparing this message. The title this evening is The Cancer of Complacency. And that week started off with a Sunday, and we, our family was up at uh, the McGackiesville congregation in the valley. I was preaching there that morning, and uh, we were delighted to, to have the opportunity to, uh, to visit with and encourage uh, Glendon and Sharla King. Some of you know who they are, and uh, Sharla has been, has been battling cancer for a little time now and has had her ups and downs, and, and she was able to be at church that morning, and we hadn't seen her for a while, so uh, we were blessed to see them, and we, we spoke to them, we tried to encourage them, and... and uh, She's had some difficult times since then as well. That was Sunday. Tuesday morning, I was back at the bakery working, and a lady came in that's been a regular for a number of years, and her name is Joan. And Joan walked in, and, and she didn't look quite right. Something was bothering her, I could tell. And, and I said, Joan, how are you doing? And she said, uh, she said, I have bad news. She said, my cancer is back again. I said, I'm sorry, Joan, I, I didn't realize that you had had cancer. Yes, she said, I'd, I'd had cancer some years ago, and I keep going back for my checkups from time to time like you're supposed to do, and, and I've always been free of cancer. I thought I was home free. But the doctor just said, it's back again. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Joan, we'll be praying for you. Now, the next day was Wednesday, and I was looking through the, the local newspaper there, and I noted an obituary in our local newspaper, and it was, it was a lady from a prominent family there in South Boston, Mindy Yancey. And I looked at it, and I found, I found it interesting to look over that, that obituary. It says that she was a 1992 graduate of Halifax County Senior High School, where she was homecoming queen 
a cheerleader and one of the best shortstops any softball team ever had. She graduated from Radford University in 1996 with a BS in criminal justice and was employed as a property adjuster at Auto Owners Insurance. Through her entire life, in school, at work, everywhere, Mindy's magnetism drew everyone to her. She made everyone feel they mattered and helped anyone with anything they needed. She had a wit and a charm and intelligence and beauty not often found in such great quantities in one individual, but Mindy had it all. I said, wow, if there was ever a picture of what the world is looking for in a person, Mindy had it. She had it all. Yeah, you're right. An attractive young lady. She was 42 years old. Who wouldn't want to be like Mindy? And yet cancer killed her at age 42. You know, cancer is no respecter of persons. It comes to the young, it comes to the middle-aged, it comes to the old. And it comes secretly, it often comes secretly. And silently it begins to do its grim work. And oftentimes, by the time it's detected, uh, the victim's doom has been sealed. It's usually too late. And cancer kills, but not fast. At least not overnight. Not that kind of fast. Slowly it eats away at the body, squeezing the spark and the zeal out of a person's life until many times their very life is snuffed out. I read that cancer is the second leading cause of death in our country each year, killing over half a million people. I think it's right behind heart disease. Killing over a half a million people each year in our country. And perhaps many of you have very close relatives uh, that have suffered with cancer, perhaps died of cancer. You know what I'm talking about. It seems like it's everywhere. It's close home. It's close home. And it seems like it's running wild. And it's one of those things that just grips us with fear because there's just hardly any way out, it seems, sometimes. You know, there's also a cancer that is running wild in our churches today. I'd like to read this quote by Dr. William Burnham. He says, This cancer has been responsible for the death of thousands of individuals and countless churches over the years. It is responsible for these congregations closing their doors and ending their ministries forever. And today, if this cancer is not addressed or confronted, it will be lethal to the very existence of Christ's church as He intended it to be. Make no mistake, the church will go on, and as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. However, many congregations will fail to live up to their potential, and many will fail to exist altogether if this cancer is not dealt with. He goes on to say, this cancer has a name, complacency. Complacency has been called the curse of Christendom. It paralyzes the church. It is seen in lukewarmness among the church's leadership and members. In fact, this cancer is far worse on the church than on any form of outright rebellion. And if ignored, the cancer of complacency leads to death in 100% of the cases. But if confronted, it can be conquered and it can be cured. I would like to note just several verses in Matthew 24 for a springboard to the message this evening. And this is a parallel passage to one that we ended with perhaps last evening in Luke. But here Jesus is giving some signs of the end of the age. And in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 24, verse 11, we read this, And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Praise the Lord. There is hope. There is hope. 
Jesus is saying here that in the last days, which I believe that we are living in today, in the last days, there will be those who once were on fire for the Lord, those who were once teaching the Sunday school classes, those who were once preaching perhaps, those who were once involved in the work of the church and, and ministry in various ways, those who were guiding their homes in the ways of God perhaps at one time, Jesus said that in the last days there will be those who once were walking with the Lord that will grow cold in their spiritual experience. They will lose their fire for Him. They will grow cold. With this in mind, I say it's vitally important that we take inventory of our spiritual life. See where we're at. You know, it's not good enough just to make that one-time confession of faith and say we're good to go, we're locked in. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We must, we must take inventory. We must see where we're at. And this evening, I would like us to take our temperature. <laughs> I would like us to take our spiritual temperature. You know, oftentimes it's the best way to, to, to decide and figure out if you're sick or not take your temperature. You might not be feeling well, but you don't really know until you take your temperature, and then you know. <laughs> that confirms it. Okay, so I'm sick. All right, I give up. <laughs> it reminds me of back some months ago, our family went through a, I mean, a bout of sickness. It wasn't just our family. I mean, our church was just, we were under the weather. And, and you know, it's one of those sicknesses where it just slowly moves through the family. And, and it doesn't matter how much vitamin C you take. It doesn't matter what you do. You're destined to get that thing, it, and it's nasty. And, and, you know, so it was one of those things that just hung around for a couple weeks, and we just felt down and out. You know, and so, so three of the boys were in school, and it was just every morning we went through this routine. Okay, who's going to school? Who's not? How are we feeling? So, you know, Miles would come tripping up the steps, you know, and, Miles, how are you feeling this morning? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Okay, well, let's take your temperature. Okay, put it in his mouth. Beep, 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 pick it out. 101.3. 101.3? You've got a temperature. Yeah, I'm not feeling real good. Yeah. Okay, back down to bed. Okay, here comes Lucas. How are you feeling? Good, good. Okay, well, let's take your temperature. Beep, 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 pick it out. Wow, 99.2. You, you doing all right? No, I'm not feeling very good. <laughs> I mean, we went, through, we went through that day in and day out. And it's just, you know, they just didn't really know. Once, once they heard that temperature, yeah, you know, we're not doing good. This isn't great. Anyway, we went through that. I, I asked you this morning, this evening, what is your temperature? What is your temperature? I say it often gives us a clear indicator of where we're at in our spiritual life. Let's, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. I want to use this as somewhat of a, a text, at least for the first part of our message. Revelation chapter 3. Uh, looking at verses 14 through 22, we have the letter here to the church at Laodicea. Follow along as I read, starting at verse 14. And unto the angel... Of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh 
will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, at the very beginning here, I want us to note who's talking. Who's talking here? That makes a big difference. Who's talking? These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Hey, this is none other than Jesus Christ Himself that is speaking here to the church of the Laodiceans. This isn't just John writing. This isn't just the angel. This is, no, this is Jesus Christ. And so that holds significant weight. Uh, for example, let's assume my children were out playing one evening after supper. And they were having a good time playing. And, and I would send little Colin out to tell the children to come in because it's, it's time for bed. So Colin would go out there and, children, come in, it's time for bed. And you know what they would say? Who said? That's immediately what they'd say. Who said? And if he would just say, well, I just think it's time to come in, they wouldn't pay him a bit of attention. No way. They'd be, they'd be right on playing. But now if he said, Dad said, you bet you they, they'd turn tail and come right in. <laughs> they'd turn tail and come right in because they know what happens then. You know, it makes a difference who's talking. And so this just isn't anyone. This is Jesus Christ speaking here to the church at Laodicea, and that's important for us to note up front. Now let's think a bit about the church there in the, in the, the city itself. Laodicea was the center uh, a commercial center, you could say, with many businesses. It was a center for banking. Uh, they manufactured clothes there. They made a lot of medicines there in Laodicea. In fact, it's interesting to note that one of the medications they were famous for was ISAV. They made ISAV there, and Jesus talks about that here. He said, you need some of your ISAV. <laughs> okay? There's another important part of Laodicea uh, that we cannot overlook, and that was the water. The water at Laodicea was nasty. Okay, the thing that made it nasty was that it was, it was very high in mineral content. Maybe it was kind of like the water out in Elida, Ohio. When I was a little boy, we'd go out and visit family in Elida, Ohio. And when you'd walk into the back of Sharon Church, woo-wee, it, it smelled like rotten eggs or something because they had that kind of water. Maybe, maybe Laodicea was similar to that. I don't know. But the water there was bad. Okay, so... Colossae was on one side of Laodicea, and Colossae had good, cold, refreshing water. That was good water. And so they would pipe the water in to Laodicea. Now, that was some miles away. And so by the time the water got there, it wasn't cold and refreshing anymore. It was just, yeah, you know, it was just lukewarm. It was just lukewarm. It's interesting to note that on another side of Laodicea was Herapolis, and, and Herapolis was known for its hot springs. <laughs> Herapolis had hot water. And actually, even today, it's still known as a, as a tourist place. They go and they, they go to the hot springs. And so you had cold water on one side. You had, you had hot water over here. And in the middle, you just had nasty, lukewarm water. Now, the city was also very wealthy. And in fact, it was, when it was badly destroyed by an earthquake back around AD 60, the city refused government funds from Rome to rebuild. They said, no, no way. No, we can do it ourselves. We can handle this. They refused the help of Rome, and they rebuilt the damaged parts of the city. I note also that the church was wealthy. Uh, the church boasted here of, of being rich and increased with goods. Uh, they said they had no needs. They were just very satisfied and pleased with where they were in life. You know, I can imagine that they dressed real finely and they probably had a fancy-looking church building and all those kind of things that go along with it. However, it appears that their material riches blinded their eyes to their real need of spiritual riches. Their real need of spiritual riches. Jesus said that you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. Deep down inside, they were miserable. Just note what they said and note what Jesus said. And this is a good lesson for us as well. It has to do with deception. We often don't view ourselves as bad as we really are, you know. 
they said, I'm rich. <laughs> I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. Jesus said, uh-uh. You are actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's really how you are. The part I want us to remember the most, though, about the church of Laodicea was their temperature. Their temperature. Note verse 16. Jesus said, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, the church at Laodicea was just a, just a lukewarm church. Just a lukewarm church. Now, there in the bakery, we are often reminded of the dangers of lukewarm foods. Temperature is very important when it comes to certain foods in particular. And so the inspectors come in, you know, once a year or so. They come in and, and they stress to us that hot food's got to be hot and cold foods must be cold, okay? They need to be on the extremes. And so they take their little temperature probes and they put it in the tomatoes and they check it and they put it in the chicken salad and they check the soups and they check different things and, and they remind us that, you know, if, if hot foods aren't hot enough, it can be a problem. Germs can grow in that. And if cold foods aren't cold enough, same thing can happen. It can be dangerous. People can get sick. And, and then they give us these posters to put on the wall at different places to remind us of these things. And on this poster is a picture of, of, like, a, of like a temperature gauge. And, and way down at the bottom... You've got these little, these little germ men, and they're just going like, <laughs> kind of like this. And, and way up at the top, there's these little germ men, and they're going, <laughs> you know, kind of like this. And right in the middle, though, right in the middle, they're just like, <laughs> you know, just like this. They're just having a ball. And it's supposed to remind us that it's got to be cold, it's got to be hot, but in the middle is a dangerous place to be. You know, being lukewarm in our relationship with Jesus Christ is also a very dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. And Jesus said, because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And that, that word spew is a, very, is a very strong term. It has to do with vomiting. It's nasty. Jesus said... I can't stand it. You make me sick. I want nothing to do with you. It's that kind of picture. You know, on a hot summer day, there's just, there's just nothing better than an ice-cold glass of water. And on a cold winter day or a, a rainy, chilly day, it, it's just a, nothing better maybe than a, than a steaming hot cup of coffee. It just meets the need, doesn't it? At least for some of us. But if, if they're in the middle, it just doesn't do the trick. It's just not right. We like our cold things cold. We like our hot things hot. You see, the people at Laodicea listened. Yeah, they listened. But there was just sort of a half-hearted response. They had no real zeal. They had no real warmth. No real enthusiasm. They were just lukewarm. They were indifferent to the great truths of Scripture. Yeah, they heard it, but, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm a Christian, right? That's important. Moving along. Now, let's be clear, dear people. I am quite certain that the church at Laodicea was not complacent in other areas of life. <laughs> no. No, the people certainly weren't complacent in their business, and we can, re we can read into that real well here in the Scripture. Uh, they were very wealthy. They were well-to-do. They weren't complacent. They didn't go to work half-heartedly. And they weren't complacent, I bet, in their hunting. And I bet they weren't complacent in their volleyball. Oh, no. And I bet they weren't complacent in their shopping trips. But because they were complacent in their spiritual life, Jesus said, I have nothing to do with you. I have nothing to do with you. You see, it was a matter of priorities. Other things in life were more important to them than their spiritual life. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, they had a spiritual life, per se, but it wasn't very important to them. There were other things that took place. And so we could say that really their real sin was that of idolatry, where, where God was not on the throne of their life. Other things were on the throne. God was somewhere down the line. They were worshiping other things, really. You know, and I, I'm sure they had plenty of nice church activities. They were probably busy with church activities, and, and I'm sure their services were laid out real nice, and their choir could sing, and, and they had a good preacher, and I'm sure all those things were happening. But because the members were only lukewarm in their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Brothers and sisters, there is no person that is more difficult to reach than the one who is self-satisfied and complacent and blind to his own condition. What can you do? They don't acknowledge it. They're fine. They don't need help. It reminds me of the, of the neighbor man that I talked to back some weeks ago. Uh, he came by our place and he handed me some... Uh, some vegetables that he'd grown in his garden and wanted to share it with us, and I thanked him, and we got to talking, and, and I invited him to church. And, no, no, no I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a religious man, he said. I said, really? And so we talked a little bit, and he said, well, he's a good person. He's a really good person, and, and he enjoys helping people. He's kind, and he's generous, but, um, you know, he, he, thinks, he's thinks, he thinks that'll work. And, and I assured him that there, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. I say people that are self-satisfied and complacent and blind to their own condition are some of the hardest people to reach, relate to. And there's a tendency for all of us to just become okay with where we're at in life. You know, we, we live such a busy life of running here and there and doing this and that. And, and I think that sometimes we just assume that our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is just going to kind of work itself out. It's just going to follow us along. But dear people, it doesn't work that way. It won't. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes desire. It takes a daily maintenance. Look, what does it take for an ice-cold glass of water to become lukewarm? Or what does it take for a, a steaming hot cup of coffee to get lukewarm? What does it take? It takes nothing. It just takes a little time. Yeah, nothing. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it sit right there. And over time, that ice will melt and it'll just become a lukewarm glass of water. Over time, that'll just be a blah cup of coffee. You didn't have to do anything to it. Now, if you want to keep it cold, you got to keep, you got to put effort into it. Put more ice into it. Okay, more ice. Put it in the fridge. You want that coffee hot? Put it in the microwave. Keep it hot. Effort. But to get lukewarm, nah, just let it go. Just, just a little bit of time is all it takes. And that's exactly what Satan would like for us to do. Nothing. Nothing. Someone has said that all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Satan would like us to be in that category. Just good people doing nothing. He would like us to feel satisfied with where we're at. He would like us to stay busy doing good things. So busy doing good things that we actually neglect our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's possible, and I'm realizing that more and more. You know, I can be involved in ministry, I can be preaching, I can do that stuff. Just because I'm doing those things for the Lord doesn't mean I'm staying up to date with Him as I always should. We can be involved in the work of the church. We can be active in the work of the church and yet neglect the things that are truly most important. And yeah, we still go to church. And yeah, we still say the right things. And we wear the right clothes. We go through the motions. We do that. But then we go home with that same empty feeling that we had when we came. Revelation 3, verses 19 through 21 are such a blessing to me. Such a blessing. You know, even in our sinfulness, Jesus loves us. And He's, he's calling for us. Come. Come. Open up. 
It's Jesus. Open your heart. It's me. And he's longing for us to just open up and let him in. He's patiently waiting. And he, he pleads for us to come to him and experience that personal relationship with him. And then there's that promise to the ones who overcome of actually living with him and reigning with him. Wow, what a promise, what a promise. You know, Jesus Christ is looking for a burning zeal this evening. Jesus Christ is looking for hearts that are sold out to him. And each of us needs to examine our hearts, take spiritual inventory and see where are we? Where are we? What is your temperature this evening? I ask you that. What is your spiritual temperature this evening? I would like for us next to consider three keys for fighting complacency in our lives. And the first is keep moving. <laughs> you'll, you'll note very quickly, this isn't rocket science, folks. This is just obedience to the Word of God, okay? Keep moving. Movement, progression, I say, in our Christian life is vitally important. And by this I mean that we should never become satisfied with where we're at. But we should always have a desire to press on. To be actively living out our faith. Living out our faith to Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, do you know why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea? You know why it's called the Dead Sea? Is it because there's a lot of dead things living in it? <laughs> Not exactly. You see, okay, the Dead Sea is a body of water that has no outlet. Now, it has an inlet. And so, salt water continues to come in, continues to come in, and, and then the water evaporates as it normally does, but the salt stays there. And so, because, because the, it can't move, there's no movement, the water evaporates, the salt stays there, and because of the increasingly high volume of salt content, it does not permit life to, to live and grow in that body of water. There's just not enough movement. Therefore, it's the Dead Sea. It's just the Dead Sea. Dead Sea. I say we must keep moving. In order to maintain a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, there must be movement. There must be progress. There must be action in our spiritual life. We fight complacency in our Christian life by running the race, by pressing on. And the Scripture talks about that in different areas. The Apostle Paul talks a good bit about that. We read this in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I say that's an important thing that we need to keep in mind. <laughs> that's almost... Uh, Oxymoron. Forget them, but keep it in mind, okay? Um, the devil loves for us to remember the things from yesteryear. He loves to remind us of those things. Hey, you remember that you did that. You remember that you committed that. You remember when you used to... That. He loves to bring those things up and harass us with them and just wear us down and frustrate us. But let me tell you, sometimes it's important for us to have a little, <laughs> a little meeting, a little Bible study with the devil and say, look here, Satan, you are forgetting something. You are forgetting, yes, I agree, I used to be that way. I agree, I used to do that. But that's not the man I am anymore. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm a new person. I'm a new creature. Those old things are passed away. You're forgetting that, Satan. Forgetting those things that are behind. Reaching forth for those things that are before. Progress, movement in our Christian life. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. As I was considering the importance of running and pressing on, I came across this interesting writing here that speaks about that. And I, I quote, 
Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows that it must run faster than the fastest lion or it would be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The great preacher Spurgeon said this, If you are not seeking the Lord, the devil is seeking you. If you are not seeking the Lord, judgment is at your heels. You'd better be running. You know, in the Christian life, it's not enough to just simply wake up and show up. No, no. But we are called to run. We are called to become more like Christ, to press ahead in godliness. I say it's a key to fighting complacency. Secondly, then, a key to fighting complacency is to keep growing. Keep growing. It's of utmost importance that we are growing in our walk with the Lord. Where are you at in your walk with the Lord? Think about where you were last year this time. Where are you at now? Have there been changes? Are you further along? Do you have a deeper, a deeper love for the Lord? Where are you at? You know, as we go through childhood, growth is a normal and healthy sign. And, and as a parent, I would be very alarmed that if for some reason at the age of three, one of my children just stopped growing. And in age four, they were still that age, that, that size. And, and the age kept growing, but yet the size didn't. Something would be very alarming there. Something's not right. And we would go to great lengths to try to figure out what's going on here. And we'd take them to the doctor and we'd do things because something is bad wrong, okay? When was the last time we went to that great of effort when we saw a brother or sister or a young person who didn't seem to be growing in their walk with the Lord? Instead, we sometimes say, oh, that's, just, that's just how Bill is. That's just how he is. That's just Bill. Or, yeah, they're going through a difficult time. They'll snap out of it. <laughs> really? Really? I say it is vital that we as Christians are growing, growing. And if we don't, there's problems. Something is wrong. What does the Word say? 1 Peter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. 2 Peter 3, 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing. Growing. In order to grow, we've got to know. <laughs> in order to grow, you got to know. You know, a baby doesn't grow by simply thinking about milk. No. A baby grows by drinking milk. And we don't grow in our spiritual life by just thinking about spiritual things, by just thinking about going to church, by just thinking about loving the Lord. No. We grow in our Christian life by eating the Word, by reading the Word, by desiring the Word, by applying the Word. I say it's vital to our Christian growth. It's how we grow. Along, come with, along with growth comes the need to bear fruit. Bear fruit. I say the lack of growth and good fruit in your life is a strong indicator of complacency in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. No growth? No fruit? You say you're a Christian? Really? Jesus said in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. That little short verse packs some punch, though. Just note these three things. God is glorified when our life is fruitful. Herein is my Father glorified. God is glorified when our lives are fruitful. God is looking for a little bit of fruit. He just wants a little bit of fruit. No. God is looking for much fruit. That ye bear much fruit. 
and fruit bearing is vital. I say it's a test of discipleship. So shall ye be my disciples. It's a test of discipleship. Your value and your usefulness to the kingdom of God is based on the fruit that you bear. You know, Jesus, our perfect example, of the scripture says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was growing. He was growing. And if Jesus, of all people, found it important to grow in his life, how much more do you and I need to make every effort to be growing in our Christian life as well? And so I ask you, have you grown spiritually in the last year? Are you further along in your Christian life? Actually, it'd be better, ask someone else, okay? Ask your spouse tonight. Honey, how am I doing? How am I doing? You know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I think I have. <laughs> how am I doing? You see me. Ask someone else. You might get a more accurate picture. Another key to fighting complacency in our, in our lives is to keep watching. Keep moving, keep growing, and keep watching. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. And that's one for you women too. Quit you like a man. Be strong. Act like a man. Be strong. Be alert. Be on your guard. Watch out for areas of weakness. Watch out for areas of weakness. You know in your own personal life the areas that you struggle with. You know your areas of weakness. Watch out for them. Watch out for them. Respect them. If you're weak in a certain area, do all you can to, to build up that area in your life or go around it. Don't tempt yourself in an area that you know you're weak in already. And look to God for power and strength to overcome and to press on and to grow. Jesus said that a key to standing tall in the face of, of temptation is to watch and pray. It speaks of vigilance. It speaks of effort. It speaks of being alert. It speaks of a desire to come out well, to end good. You know, anticipate, anticipating Christ's return will also keep our spiritual temperature high. It, cer it certainly will. And you can jot this down in your notes sometime. Read this passage, 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. And I want you to, as you read this, I want you to take note of Peter's call to keep looking. Keep looking. He mentions it a number of times. And it, the passage there is, what's in focus is the coming of the Lord. And it says that there's, there's those who say, no, it, he ain't coming again. Look, he said he's going to come again. You say he's going to come again. It's been all these years, he ain't coming. I don't believe it. He ain't coming. And there's people today that are like that. And Peter goes on, to, to give a very good and clear uh, uh, persuasion of why he is coming and to be ready, to be ready. And so go through that passage sometime in your personal Bible reading and note the times he encourages us to keep looking, keep watching. You know, Jesus said that he will return like a thief in the night, like a thief in the night. Let us not be found sleeping. No, but let us be watching. Let us be ready for our Lord's return. I would like to focus the last part of this message on the cure for complacency. The cure for complacency. You know, when a brother or sister cools off in their spiritual life, or when they start coasting, or when they stumble and fall into sin, Mark it down. The cause is a lack of zealous desire for God and His Word. Mark it down. It goes back to that every time. There's a lack of zealous desire for God and His Word. When was the last time you heard someone say, give a testimony like this? You know, brothers and sisters, I want you all to pray for me. And um, I've been struggling in this area of life. And I ask for your prayers. And I just can't figure it out. Because, I mean, I've been spending time fasting and praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've had a vibrant relationship with the Lord. I've been praying a lot. And it, but I just, 
I can't figure it out. No, <laughs> it doesn't go that way. But this is what they say. Uh, brothers and sisters, could you please pray for me? I've been struggling in, in this area of my life, and, and I know that I need to grow. I, I haven't been spending the time in God's Word like I should. And that's usually how it goes. That's usually how it goes. And you probably know that for yourself as well. It's in those times when you knew that you weren't up to date, you weren't current with Christ like you should, that you found yourself slipping and falling and thinking wrong thoughts and doing wrong things. I say, how serious really are you? Are you really sold out? Or are there signs of complacency uh, that are creeping into your life? Dear people, the cure for complacency is keeping current with Christ. The cure for complacency is a red-hot zeal for God, a passion for the things of God, a love for the church, for God's people. And I said this this morning, I'll say it again. You will always find time in each day to do what is truly most important to you. Do you believe that? You know, I don't, it took me a little time to think through that. I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's not quite right. Maybe that's not quite right. Because there's been times when I've been at work, and I really wanted to eat lunch. And, you know, our busiest time is over lunch. And uh, it was just so busy that I didn't get lunch eaten. And so I go home, and I tell my wife, man, I'm not, you know, I'm wore out. I didn't even get to eat lunch. And, and she's like, well, did you want to eat lunch? Yeah, yeah, I really wanted to eat lunch. Well, why didn't you eat lunch? Well, because, you mean, so it was more important to do work? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. You know what I'm saying. I mean, we, we can always find time in the day to do what is most important to us. And, you know, if I decide that I really want to shoot my bow this one evening, I'll change my schedule around, I'll shoot bow. You know, we do what's most important to us. I just wonder, what about the Word of God? What about our time for God? You know, we find time to do other things and at the expense of our time with God a lot of times. And we can't figure out why we can't get over this problem in life, why we keep tripping up in this area. We can't figure it out for some reason. I ask you, if you were to state your level of desire for God by picking a number between 1 and 10, with 10 being just a sold out for God, what number would you choose? What number would you choose? Would you say, I'm probably seven. Oh, I don't know. Nine? Yeah, maybe nine. What number would you choose if you had to, if you had to give a number stating your, your position with Christ? And then I would ask you, would your life back that up? Would your personal time with God back that up? Would your checkbook, would your hobbies, would your friends confirm this? You know, if I would say, hey, John, Bill said that, Bill said that he's a nine. What, what do you say about that? And Johnny would say, ah, he said a nine? Really? Well, but, but I saw him here last week, and, 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 and he was doing this last week, and, and, or if I'd say, hey, Johnny, Bill said, that, Bill said that he's a nine. What do you say about that? Yeah, I agree, because Bill has been making, he has been, he has been growing in his Christian life. Bill has been serious about his walk with the Lord. He has been sacrificing things in order to spend time with God. Bill, he's right, he's right. His life confirms that. His priorities confirm that. It's good for us to ponder some of that sometimes. You know, it's, it's easy for us to think one thing when, when in fact sometimes reality can prove a little differently. I'm blessed over and over with David's desire for God. As I, as I read through the Psalms, it's a beautiful picture of a man who desired God. Now, was David perfect? Absolutely not. And he made some terrible mistakes. He, he sinned some really bad sins. What made David a man after God's own heart? 
I think it was because David was quick to repent. David was quick to see his sin and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he was quick to turn and make it right and move on and seek the Lord again. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside Thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's a desire for God. That's a longing for the things of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. For they shall be filled. You know, we use that word once so often. And we want this. And we want that. And we want more ice cream. And we want to love Jesus more. And... and, and we use that term so lightly, it seems like, a lot of times. But the picture I get in these verses I just read is so much deeper than that. Thirsteth, longeth, hunger. It seems to come from deep down inside. They carry with them a sense of, of real sacrifice, of real commitment. In other words, I'm going to give up something for this because I want it that bad. It makes, it makes want seem so cheap and so light. And Jesus promises fulfillment to those who truly seek Him with their whole heart. Jesus says, they are blessed and they are filled. I would like us to turn to one passage yet and note some, some important applications for us. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. I find this to be a very inspiring set of verses. It's a beautiful picture of people who desired God with all their hearts. It's really a beautiful picture. And I would like uh, to read these verses, verses 1 through 15, and then I'll just go down through them and make some applications for us today. Starting at verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel, and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation, and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage, and he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and he renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and all the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh, and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting, with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and they had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them. And the Lord gave them rest round about. Verse 2. We must be serious with God 
if we expect his blessings. We must be serious with God if we expect his blessings. He promises blessings to the true seekers, to those who seek him with the whole heart. The word here was, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. How oftentimes we find ourselves catching that a little bit backwards. Seeking all these things in life that look appealing, running after this and running after that, and oh yes, God, bless me, I pray. Bless me. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God will provide your needs. He will care for you. It's about having first things first. We must be serious with God if we expect His blessings. Verse 5, I note that when God is not on the throne, there will not be peace. Don't expect peace in your life when God is not number one. And we note here that in those times of when this was written, it says there was no peace to them. There was no peace. And there was a, there was, it was a terrible time. It says that in verse 3 that Israel had been without the true God. They didn't have a teaching priest. There was no law. It was a mess. <laughs> it was a time of much vexation. There was fighting. There was killing. There was no peace. Because God was not on the throne. Dear people, you can expect struggles. You can expect conflicts. You can expect problems when God is not on the throne of your heart. But when our desire is for God and His Word, when we are sold out to Him, when we are pursuing Him in all areas of life, He grants that peace that passes all understanding. We just can't explain it. But the peace of God rules our hearts and our minds when we put Him first place. Verse 8. I'm blessed by the leadership that I see displayed in this verse. When Asa heard these words, and when he heard the prophecy of the prophet, he took courage and he got to work. He saw a problem. He, he understood that we're in bad shape here. He recognized the need. It's a leader who recognized the need and he was moved to action. And don't wait on the leaders <laughs> to recognize the need and move to action. Brothers and sisters, take the responsibility yourself in your personal life. Don't wait till someone comes and talks to you. No. When God prompts you, when God brings something to your attention, recognize the need and take action. Take action. I say it's time for us to get serious with the Lord. It's time for us to get serious. Perhaps there's something in your life that is taking the place that God requires. You know, God is not Lord when, when we pushed Him to second or third place. No. No, God is longing for that number one position in our life. You know, we talk about growing in perfection. And we go to church and we talk church things. And we go to church and we sing songs about growing in perfection and songs of great desire and, and songs like, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want You forever to live in my soul. Cast out every idol. Cast out every foe. Wash me that I can be whiter than snow. And yet all along, we know down inside that there are certain things that we don't plan to give up. There are certain things that, no, no, Maybe this, maybe that, but that one's not up for sale. God help us. God help us. Verse 9, I note that when the work of God is active and evident in our lives, it is attractive. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. When the work of God 
is alive and well in our lives. It draws people. It points them to Jesus Christ, really. Note here in verse 9, it says that <laughs> they fell to him out of Israel in abundance. Those all around, all the people around said, hey, look at that. Something's different. Something's going on there. Something's beautiful. There's a change taking place there. It says when they saw that the Lord was working, when they saw the Lord God was with the people, people just, it attracted people. It was beautiful. They said, hey, hey, I want that too. I want that. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. No, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I say that when, when the Spirit of God is alive and well in our lives, it attracts people and points them to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verses 11 through 13, I'm reminded of Joshua's words where he said, hey, choose what you think is best. Do what you think. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. Yes. That was Joshua's response. And I see here in verses 11 through 13, a people who had a similar commitment. They were committed. They said, it's God and it's God only. We're, we're willing to go all the way. And we see that. We see that how they entered into a covenant a covenant was something that you would not do lightly, but it's something that speaks of seriousness and speaks of purpose. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God. I just note the action words. I say, we fight complacency with purposeful action. Verse 10, it says they gathered. Verse 11, it says they offered. Verse 12, they entered. Verse 13, they were serious. Verse 14, they swore. In other words, they said, we are going all the way. We're serious about this. I say we fight complacency with purposeful action in our lives. You know, a complacent Christian will feel that his relationship with God is just good enough. It's just good enough. You know, I've done what I need to do. I don't really feel like going any further. Remember the church? I, uh, I came to the Lord a few years ago, and you know, I go to church. It's good enough. He doesn't feel that it's necessary to be extreme. He's just satisfied with where he's at. But the sincere seeker is always seeking, is always pursuing. They're not satisfied with where they are, but they're pressing on. They're pressing on. Verse 15, I note that when we are willing to sell out to Jesus Christ. He fills us with joy and peace. Contrary to public opinion, it's not a sad, gloomy, boring life. No, not at all. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. That's where true freedom is when we're willing to sell out to Jesus Christ. That's where true freedom is. Note here the words all and the words whole. For they had sworn with all their heart and they sought Him with their whole desire. They gave it all. They didn't hold anything back. They gave it all. And they were rewarded with great joy and peace. And it ends by saying there was rest all around. That's beautiful, people. That's beautiful. What a beautiful picture of people who had a sincere desire to seek the Lord, to pursue God. I say the cure for complacency is a red-hot zeal for God and His Word. So what is your temperature this evening? What is your temperature this evening? Are you on fire for the Lord? Or are there areas in your life that, that have grown a little lukewarm? Are there signs of complacency creeping into your life this evening? You know, just as the invitation was open, it was still open to the Laodicean church years ago, 
And it's, it's still open to us this evening. We are still in the day of opportunity. Jesus is still knocking. It's Jesus. Won't you please let me in? Give me your awe. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You ever seen that old picture of Jesus standing at that door knocking? Maybe he's holding a lantern. I'm not sure, but he's knocking at that door. Did you ever note that there's no doorknob on the outside? I didn't notice that until some time ago I read about it and then noted that. Jesus will not pry His way in. You must open the door. But He will keep knocking. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. May the Lord find us faithful. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, as we've looked into your word again this evening, I must confess that I, I see areas of life that I'm, not, that I'm not doing as I ought. I see priorities that are not in order. I see areas that, that are not as on fire as they ought to be. Father, I pray that you would work in our midst this evening. And Lord, if there are those among us who, who have grown cold in their walk with You, if there are those among us who are lukewarm, I pray that the truth and the power of Your Word would speak to them. I pray that You would nudge them. And I pray that there would be hearts of openness and sensitivity to Your promptings. Father, help us to realize that real joy and real peace and real rest comes when we give it all to You. Thank You, Father, for this weekend of digging into Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would be vigilant as we leave here. We would be vigilant in fighting this spiritual warfare that we're in. Father, we're in dangerous times as Christians. The devil is ever so busy. Help us to be on guard. Help us to be active. Help us to be intentional. Help us to be purposeful in our fight of faith. And may Your name receive honor and glory. May Your kingdom come. May Your will be done in our lives and in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.